Well, we know we can run to the Lord in prayer. We know we can run to Him, but sometimes we forget. We, we forget that He is the first place we should go. We go to other things. We turn to other places. And that's part of what I love about this psalm, is that in the midst of David's difficult time, he goes to the Lord. Prayer is a steady theme in Psalm 55. He mentions it in the opening verses. He mentions it in the closing section in verse 22. And he mentions it a few places throughout. To go to the Lord in prayer. This is especially helpful for David because he faces the betrayal of a friend. One that he says, I, I had sweet counsel with you. Meaning they talked together. This was someone that David had leaned on in his own times of difficulty and trouble. They took counsel together. He was an advisor. Someone he had trusted information to. This was the one who betrayed him. And so, even more so, David turns to his God in prayer who never fails him. Maybe you have experienced this kind of betrayal. Maybe there was a close friend that you had trusted some private information to, something confidential, something you weren't ready to have shared with others, only to find out they told this person and this person and this person, and now you're hearing from party number four about the information you had shared, and you're hurt deeply because that private information had been shared with others. Maybe you've been betrayed by a spouse someone that you trusted closely and they turned on you. Maybe you've been betrayed by another, some other situation where someone you thought you could trust showed that you couldn't. The Lord Jesus Himself experienced this kind of betrayal. One of His own twelve disciples turned on Him. But this wasn't just a rumor that Judas was spreading about Jesus. Judas turned him in to be killed. And so the Lord Jesus knows what David is experiencing here in Psalm 55, the betrayal of a close friend that put David in danger of death. And certainly the Lord Jesus went to death as a result of this betrayal of a close friend. It's a real part of life. Where do we turn when betrayed? And in Psalm 55, we see when betrayed by a friend... Pray to your faithful God. Psalm 55 helps us to process the pain of betrayal, the the evil and wickedness that comes from someone turning on us, someone being disloyal. What do we do? Where do we turn? We turn to the Lord. The opening heading for Psalm 55 is, again, a reminder that this is for worship. It's written to the chief musician to be used as a part of worship. It seems to us as an odd song to sing. So much expression of personal pain. As David cries to the Lord and says, oh, my heart is groaning within me. I mean, we're not used to singing words like that, and yet... These kinds of words are helpful to us. They help us know what to say when it's time to go to the Lord with our pain. It's good for us to have songs that help us express our difficulty to God. And in fact, I'd encourage you to keep track of Psalm 55. For in your time of pain, you may find its words help you speak to the Lord and express what's going on in your heart 
as you turn to Him in prayer. And so it's a song for worship, and so we sang it today. David also says that it's to be accompanied by stringed instruments, and like I mentioned last week, I think our piano, and I think we had a viola today, uh, will help us uh, with our stringed instrument accompaniment as we sang that even today. He also calls it a contemplation, which has to do with a a skillful instruction. It's connected to the word for wisdom. And so David is taking an experience in his life, and by writing this psalm down, he's sort of instructing us. This is a, a lesson from the hard knocks of life. So David's teaching the reader, here's a way that you can respond when you face the betrayal of someone close. We pray to our faithful God. The question is, how do we do that? And so we follow David's pattern through Psalm 55. Number one, we pour out our trouble to God. We pour out our trouble to God. And you may have noticed in verses 1 through 8 how raw David's words are. He's he's pouring out his feelings and his pain to God. Sometimes with our emotions, we get into the habit of just sort of suppressing them, right? Right? Put them down. And there is a time when truth triumphs over our emotions and we say, no, what I'm feeling is not right. I'm going to lean on the Word of God. But David here does give us an example of how we can can bring our emotions to God and express them to Him and seek the Lord's help in processing what we're feeling with His truth. So notice some of the things that David says, beginning in verse 1. He begs the Lord to hear his prayer. And this is not David doubting that God's listening. This is just, again, him giving emphasis to what he's saying. Oh, God, hear my prayer. Give ear has the sense of God leaning in to listen. And of course, we know God's already listening, but he's begging God to to hear and to respond. Do not hide from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. That's four times in the first two verses that David kind of repeats himself and begs God to hear his prayer. That speaks to the intensity of what David is feeling. He describes it at the end of verse 2. He says, I'm restless in my complaint and moan noisily. The word restless means that he's, he's anxious. It's this sense of, of not being able to stop moving. And so David's just feeling this in his heart. He, he just can't sit still because of what's going on. He moans noisily. Have you ever been so anxious about something or so distraught about something that, oh, what am I going to do? It's just coming out. You can hardly stop the emotion of it. Maybe you've been there. This is what David is describing, the intensity of his pain. Why? Verse 3 describes the reason. Because of the voice of my enemy. Because of the oppression of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. David has this enemy who was his friend, but used his voice to betray David. And so it's the voice of his enemy, the words spoken by this dear friend that have brought down trouble upon David. And again, we don't know exactly what scenario this is talking about. One guess, this is purely a guess. Maybe the betrayal of David's counselor, Ahithophel. That betrayal happened when Absalom was trying to steal the kingdom from David. Now, Absalom was David's son. There's another betrayal. But there's a point in Absalom's betrayal of David in trying to commit treason and steal the kingdom away that David's closest counselor, Ahithophel, 
switches sides and goes to Absalom and becomes Absalom's counselor. Maybe this is when David writes this psalm, the betrayal of a close counselor as Ahithophel changes sides. And so now David is in trouble. Now Absalom has Ahithophel's counsel, and so trouble is coming down upon David. The word for bringing down trouble has this sense of hurling a large stone. It's almost like this crushing weight is coming down upon David. So this is what he's experiencing. And so then in verses 4 and 5, With five different words, David expresses the the trouble in his heart. Notice what he says. First, he says, my heart is severely pained within me. This is the same word used of the experience of a woman in labor. (laughs) Just this tension and pain going on in his heart. Secondly, he says, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. He's afraid. He's terrorized. In verse 5, he has three more descriptions. He's experiencing fear, fearfulness, trembling. Again, this is the idea of he's actually shaking because of his fear. This horror at the end of verse 5, he says, has overwhelmed him. Again, five different descriptions in those two words for what his heart is feeling. In verses 6 through 8, then, David expresses his desire to escape. Again, he's just expressing his feelings to God. And notice the three metaphors that he uses in verses 6 through 8. He says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. He wishes he was a bird. I could just escape from this scenario and and go and fly away. In verse 7, He speaks of of wandering off. So he's describing himself in a city and a little bit later. And so he wants to leave the city and wander into a wilderness where just, just get away from people and from the noise and from the busyness and just be alone in the wilderness. And then in verse 8, he speaks of a storm. We could imagine maybe someone on a ship, and there's this tempest and this storm, and, and David can't wait to get to his escape. And the word escape has to do with a, a place of safety. So imagine a ship getting to its haven at shore, escaping the tempest on the sea. Three metaphors David expresses his just desire to be gone from this trouble, to escape, to get out. Certainly we can relate to that desire to escape. Maybe you have had the same longing in your trouble to just get out. I just want to escape. Even even a distraction would help. Just want to flee. What I love about David is that rather than taking those escapes, he takes them to God. He tells God what his heart is feeling. He tells the Lord what's going on and he explains, this is the pain my heart is feeling. This is what I want to do. I just want to run from this. I want to grow wings like a dove and and fly away from this. Oh Lord, what I'm experiencing is hard as David pours out his heart to God. So we learn in verses 1 through 8 the value of pouring out our trouble to God. He wants to know what we're experiencing. And so often we we either just suppress these things or we just go right to some escape or we go to all sorts of unhelpful things rather than turning to the Lord. And it begins here. Trusting God in the midst of our pain begins by pouring out our heart to Him. And again, verses 1 through 8 may give you some helpful words in your own time 
of difficulty. I can remember a number of times growing up when I leaned on my dad for encouragement and help, telling him about the trouble I was facing. One such time was on a road trip we had taken, a last-minute road trip while I was in high school. Uh, I think it was my junior year, maybe my sophomore year, but at any rate, we were looking ahead to that big college decision. What was I going to do for college? And there was a college in Pennsylvania that we knew a little bit about, but had never been on the campus and didn't know much about it. And so my dad's not like this, but this random surprise thing, he's like, hey, let's drive to Pennsylvania and check out this college. Who, who are you? What? You know, this is, normally everything was planned and, you know, all this. Be like, let's do it. Let's go. And so, you know, later that day, we packed and left and started down the road to Pennsylvania. My dad and me in the car. I was a new driver at that age. And uh, so I think maybe my dad wanted to get me some more road time, too. I don't know. But I did a ton of driving on that trip out to Pennsylvania. And I remember getting to Pennsylvania. It was the first time. Not only that I'd been in Pennsylvania, but I'd ever driven in Pennsylvania. And so here we are, I don't know if you've driven in Pennsylvania, but the section we were in was all sorts of hills and curves all over the place, right? So that was new to me. So we're going at what felt like breakneck speeds around these curves, you know, it's like, I gotta slow down. And so it gets into the evening, the sun has set and it's getting dark. And so I'm going around these dark curves at, you know, high speeds and then I begin to see signs along the side of the road that there are, you know, deer crossing. Now, you have to understand, I didn't grow up in Iowa. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. There are no deer there. We don't have signs that warn us about deer. And so for the first time, I'm seeing signs that deer could be crossing the road, and I'm going around these curves at breakneck speeds, and my speed starts slowing. And my dad's like, well, what's going on? Why are you slowing down? I'm like, well, there could be deer around the next corner. Well, that's a legitimate concern, right? That you know that's true, but the chances of that are really slim. You'll be all right. Keep going the speed limit. Probably see it soon enough. You can move if you have to. You know, so I grip the steering wheel a little tighter. Get back up to the speed limit and start going fast again. Sure enough, we made it all the way to our destination without seeing a single deer, right? Big surprise. We made it. But in my point of tension, my dad could tell something was going on. Hey, what's the deal? What's wrong? Why are you slowing down? Well, we could hit a deer. Hey, we'll be all right. Get up to speed. We'll be fine. Okay, thanks, Dad. And we made it. We made it. With the Lord, we can tell Him our trouble, what's going on in our hearts. And so often we just try to suppress them or we escape to some other thing or we try to just figure it out ourselves and we don't take advantage of the help available to us in our Heavenly Father to tell Him our trouble, to tell Him what we're facing, to talk with Him. Prayer takes work. I understand that. We have to come up with words to say to God, and we don't always know what to say or how to say it, but I I encourage you, learn to turn to the Lord first in your time of trouble. Tell Him what you're going through, and lean on the words of the Psalms as you talk to God. Oh, how they give us rich ideas and expressions for what we need to say to the Lord when we're not quite sure what to say. Pour out your trouble to God. 
what tempts us to escape or ignore God when we should be turning to Him. David expresses here his desire to grow wings and fly away. Of course, that's not really an option for true escape. But there are some things that tempt us to escape rather than turning to God. Things that we bring into our lives just to sort of ignore the problem instead of addressing it with the Lord. And so maybe we lean on social media thinking that the distraction of what's going on there will help me not think about the trouble I'm facing. But maybe you found there's often just more trouble around the corner. Maybe it's TV or movies, maybe it's video games, maybe even it's some form of narcotics or alcohol. There are all sorts of things in this life calling to us for escape from our trouble. And often these things distract us from the true help in our trouble. We need to turn to the Lord, tell Him what we're facing and experiencing, pour out our hearts before Him. Encourage you, learn to turn to God. Pray the words of even Psalm 55 to Him in your time of trouble. In the next section of the psalm, verses 9 through 15, David makes another request to God. Not just for God to listen, but now he thinks of his enemy here. And you'll notice both 9 and 15 sound kind of similar. They form a sort of bookends into this next section. In verse 9 he says, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. In verse 15 he says, let death seize them. So in both cases, he's asking God to bring this evil to an end and, and literally actually to bring this evildoer to death. We're going to think through how we process that in our day. Do we, do we really pray for people to die? Is this what God wants of us as we read Psalm 55? Well, we'll answer that question. We'll put it this way in our outline today. When betrayed by a friend and praying to our faithful God, a second thing we can do is to ask Him to stop evil and to uphold righteousness. <clears throat> David asks God to stop evil literally by stopping this individual. He says in verse 9, destroy, O Lord, bring it to an end. He references, I think, the Tower of Babel in the next phrase. He says, divide their tongues. This was how God stopped evil at the Tower of Babel. Remember, they were building this tower trying to make themselves equal or even greater than God. And God steps in and stops their evil work by dividing their tongues. All of a sudden, they speak different languages and they can't continue working on the tower. And so David calls for this. Remember, this friend had betrayed him with his mouth. And so it's like David is saying, divide their tongue. Don't let them speak anymore. He's calling upon God for a miracle to stop the evil. Interestingly, in verses... 9 through 11, he he focuses on how this evil has spread. He references a city. Now, of course, the city we associate with David is the city of Jerusalem. It's where he was when he was king. It's where he would have been when uh, Absalom and Ahithophel uh, betrayed him. And so, again, that, that fits as a possibility. And so he's talking about the city, and what he's talking about is how the evil of this one betrayer has spread through the city, and others are beginning to follow this evil. 
So he uses a number of word pictures to describe how it's just prevalent everywhere. He says in verse 10, it it goes around all the walls. So the, the city's completely surrounded by this evil. It's also in the midst of it. It's in the center of the city. He repeats that in verse 11. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from the streets. Every street of the city is affected by this evil. Oppression and deceit, iniquity, trouble, destruction. He lists all these different words to describe the ramifications of this betrayal by his friend. It's spread through the whole city. But there's a deeper pain even than that. And he comes to it in verse 12. He points out first the negative, and he does it two times. Notice the parallelism here. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. There's our first statement. And then he repeats it in a parallel thought. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. This is, again, meant to emphasize the big reveal in verse 13. It gets the reader thinking, wait, it wasn't your enemy? Wait, it wasn't somebody who hated you? Well, then who was it? And the answer comes in verse 13. It was you, a man, my equal. And the first person pronoun there, you. David's not talking to God at this point. He's speaking so personally because it's as if this person had been right next to him. But it was you who betrayed me. This one who was close, this one who was near, this one who was dear to him, turned his back on him and went away. It was you. Someone who was his equal. This has to do with David's position as king, I think. that Somebody who was in his court. Somebody who interacted with him regularly. He continues and describes more about this betrayer. He was his companion. That word has to do with a a close friend, acquaintance. Acquaintance is not just somebody I met once or twice. Here in the text, it describes somebody that he knew well. In verse 14, they took sweet counsel together. This was an advisor, somebody that that he trusted precious information to. They walked in the house of God in the throng. They went to worship together. This was a friend. They went to church together, if we put that in today's terms. They walked to the temple to worship together. Someone he thought for sure he could trust has now turned on him. And so he closes the section in verse 15 by asking God to bring death. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. The word hell there is just Sheol. It means the grave. Let them go go to the grave. Why? The end of verse 15 describes wickedness has infiltrated their dwellings. It's in, t- it's, it's in everything they do and say. They're entirely affected by wickedness. And so David asks God to bring it to a stop. He asks Him to stop evil and to uphold righteousness. If you're in a home where there are siblings... I hate to say it, but there are times when the siblings don't get along. Big surprise, I know. But there are times when there's a little argument or one sibling, I'm not really sure why, decides they just want to be annoying to the other sibling. And nobody knows how to press sibling buttons better than other siblings, right? You know, the fastest way to annoy them. 
And so for whatever sinful reason, it pops into our head. We think, well, I think I'm going to do this to my sibling right now. They hate this. So this is going to be good. And so they begin attacking their sibling. And the sibling may do some things to try to get it to stop. Enough. That's it. Quit it. This is really annoying. Stop it. Just go away. Maybe they run to their room and slam the door. Or maybe they find some other escape where they can go. But as the situation escalates, there's a common plea for help that often comes either to mom or to dude. Dad, make her stop! Right? We appeal to the greater authority in the home, right? Take away some privilege or end their life if you have to. (laughs) Make it stop. We cry to the parents for help. This is sort of what David is doing here in Psalm 55. Betrayed by a close friend, David cries to the Lord. This is beyond David's control. And as we mentioned earlier, there's that metaphor, trouble is falling down upon him like a heavy stone. And so David turns to his father and says, Father, make the evil stop. End their life even if you have to. David's prayers, he prays this way frequently. (laughs) God, bring my enemy to death. These are called imprecatory prayers of David, calling wrath and judgment upon his enemies. And it's a great question. Can we pray that way today? I sure have felt like praying that way before. (laughs) But should we pray that way? Well, you have to understand David's context. David relates to God through what was called the Mosaic Covenant, the law. And a part of that agreement, God had promised that as people obeyed, there would be blessing. As people disobeyed, there would be curses, there would be punishment, even death. And so David is really calling upon the the law, the Mosaic Covenant. God, they've broken your law, so follow through on what you've promised and bring them to death. I would encourage us not to pray that way today. We can pray for God to stop evil. We can call for God to do it in His way and in His time. We can call for God to end the evil things around us. We certainly could pray for God to bring someone who's committing acts of evil to death, but often in our hearts, that's just anger over our personal lives rather than love for righteousness, which should be the motivation. So instead, we can pray for God's will to be done. We know God loves what is good and abhors what is evil. And so we can pray for God's will to be done. Pray for God to stop evil however He pleases. In fact, it honors the Lord to pray this way. Lord, bring an evil to end and uphold all righteousness. And we know that He will. God will do that. He has promised to. We have to understand, we also must pray this with humility. Because think for a moment, if God were not patient with evil, then you and I would be dead. If God struck down all evil immediately, we would not have lived past our first act of sin. We'd be gone. And so we must be humbly thankful for God's patience. 
And ask that God, in His time and in His way, stop evil and uphold righteousness. The Lord Jesus teaches us to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we ask for God's will to be done. And it may be that His will is for that evildoer to find forgiveness in Christ as I have found forgiveness in Christ as a former evildoer. It may be that God sends His Son to unroll the judgments of the tribulation and to set up His kingdom forevermore. God can answer that prayer to stop evil any way He pleases. And that's what's important. And so we ask God to bring evil to an end and to uphold righteousness. In verses 16 through 21, we have another transition here. David now turns to himself and commits himself to keep talking with the Lord. And so number three today, how do we pray to our faithful God? We keep praying by faith. Keep praying. As he looks upon the evildoer and asks God to stop evil and to uphold righteousness, David now says, As for me, I will call upon God. I will keep praying. I will keep turning to the Lord. I'll keep bringing Him my request. But this is not just kind of this, you know, throwing up a wish No, David's confident in the Lord. He prays with faith. Notice what he says in the second half of verse 16. The Lord shall save me. He knows. He's confident. He trusts that God will be his help. And so he prays with faith. He prays consistently in verse 17. Evening and morning and noon following kind of the Jewish day. It started in the evening and then went to the morning and then noon of the next day. This means David's praying constantly. He's not referring just to meals. (laughs) He prays all through the day for the Lord's help. I'll keep calling upon the Lord with confidence. He knows the Lord will hear His voice. In verses 18 and 19, he looks back to past evidences of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful. He has redeemed my soul. I've been surrounded by armies, he describes, in battles. Many have surrounded me, and yet God has preserved my life. God has protected me. He's confident God will protect him again. In verse 19, he calls God, he who abides from of old. And that word abides can, can refer to even sitting on a throne. So you could even imagine David thinking in his own head, no, I know God sits on the throne from of old. God's in charge. He's the one I trust. He's the one I pray to, and I know He will help. The end of verse 19 repeats the problem. The enemy, the evildoer, does not change. Therefore, they do not fear God. And that's an interesting progression. It's wise. He's right on. They refuse to change. They refuse to stop doing whatever they want and to submit to God. And because they refuse to change, they also refuse to fear God. They put God out of their minds. They stop thinking of what would be pleasing to God and just do what they want. And so, in verses 20 and 21, David describes again 
the actions of this betrayer. He went from what was peace, and now he's moved his hands against the ones where there was peace. He broke his covenant. There was some promise, some agreement, some trust between them, and this betrayer just just broke that covenant. His words in verse 21, at first were smooth like butter. Oh yes, I can trust this person. Yes, this is a great friendship, a great relationship, but in the end it turned out that war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Again, smooth, this, this, this idea of pleasantness. Oil is a lubricant, right? It takes away friction. And so David's thinking, this was all, everything seemed like it was going well. Their words seemed to be just right. But in the end, they were daggers. They turned and betrayed me. So these verses in 20 and 21 draw the contrast between the betrayer and the faithfulness of God. God has always been there for David. God's word has always been helpful to David. And David leans on God's faithfulness even though this betrayer's words were proved deceptive. And so David's encouragement is to keep praying by faith. I mentioned earlier in the sermon that uh, godly fathers can be a good place to go with your questions, but even godly fathers have their limits. I remember uh, taking vacations as a family. There were a number of questions that often arose from the back seat of our vehicle where the children sat. And as we approached our destination, we often wanted to know more details about this trip. Are we there yet? We're not there yet. Can we go swimming tonight? We'll see. Does the hotel have a pool? Just, that's enough. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Eventually, some instructions came from the front. All right, if you ask again about swimming, then the answer will for sure be no. (laughs) If you ask again if we're there yet, then you can walk the rest of the way. You know, <laughs> There was a limit to the questions, right? And it was good instruction for us to learn uh, not to over-ask questions when we'd already received an answer. But with our Father in heaven, He encourages us to keep coming to Him in prayer, to keep coming in confidence, to keep asking Him for help in our time of need, trusting that He always hears, that He wants to hear from us, and that He's ready to answer. In fact, God even encourages persistence in prayer. Now, don't go to God and try to be annoying by asking the same thing. That's not the point. But God encourages us to be persistent, to keep coming by faith. And so go to Him. Keep praying in your time of trouble. We endure so much anxiety and yet pray so little. As we come to verses 22 and 23, David closes the psalm and we learn this. We then can also encourage others to pray by faith. In these two short verses, as he closes, he now turns to the reader in verse 22, and he encourages the reader to cast their burden on the Lord. David's saying, this isn't just true for me. This is what God is like. And so you too cast your care upon the Lord. 
These words may sound familiar to you because I think Peter cites Psalm 55 when he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on Him. It's first said here. Psalm 50, God hasn't changed. He's still the same God. He's still the same God who wants our burdens, who calls us to cast our burdens on Him. And what a rich word that phrase, cast, is has this sense of just pouring off, just rolling. It's like, it's like that big stone used in the psalm earlier, this trouble that's coming down upon him. It's like David is then somehow able to roll the stone off and onto the Lord, giving God the weight of what he's experiencing, casting his burden on the Lord. The promises here are rich as well. He shall sustain you. Sustain is an interesting word because it doesn't mean that the trial just disappears. It doesn't mean that it it goes away. It doesn't necessarily change immediately. But what is key is that God will sustain us, which may mean that He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, like Psalm 53 says for us. He helps us. He strengthens us. He gets us through it. Why sustain instead of just take away? Because God is intending our eternal good. That means He's growing us. He's refining us. He's making us more like His Son. And so there will be trials that God allows into our lives. And that's where the final phrase of verse 22 comes in. He shall not permit the righteous to be moved. He will not allow us to be shaken. We can never be shaken out of His good hands. He holds us. And even through the trials, He grips us. Makes us more like His Son, Jesus. We're held fast. It's like the words of how firm a foundation. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can be said than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, cause thee to stand upheld, By my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials your pathway should lie, my grace, all sufficient, will be your supply. The flame will not hurt you. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And so the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. God holds us fast. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then His own will not be shaken Though trials may come, though you may be betrayed by one even close to you, God will sustain you through that. Keep turning to Him and encourage others to do the same. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. How do we know the Lord will be faithful through our trials? Romans 8 makes it clear to us that when We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We are forgiven, we're justified, 
we're sanctified, we're glorified. Meaning, God will never lose us in the whole pathway of the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 to describe all the things that may come upon us, including, he even talks about persecution there in Romans chapter 8. But he does say, no matter what comes upon you, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And we know that because God gave us His Son while we were yet sinners, that He will hold us fast through the stuff and storms and trials of life. So friend, if you're looking to be held by God, if you're looking for that hope in your difficult time, I encourage you today to turn to the Lord Jesus by faith. Become a child of God by trusting in the finished work of Christ. He died for you and rose again. You can be God's child today and He will hold you forevermore. If you are God's child, then I encourage you with David to cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will hold you fast. Keep trusting. Keep praying. Keep going. Keep pouring out your trouble to Him. Verse 23 closes the psalm. David looks back to this betrayer and trusts that God will bring destruction upon them But he closes the psalm with this great statement, but I will trust in you. The Lord is trustworthy. No matter what people do to you, no matter what you have done, you can trust in the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this psalm that in the end encourages us to trust in you. We confess we so often turn elsewhere when we face the trouble and trials and even the betrayals of this life. But we thank you, God, that you will never fail us. We praise you that you are trustworthy. And so we ask for your help. Help us to draw near to you regularly. May we be a people that are quick to pray, to go to you in our time of need, to pour out our trouble to you, to keep praying by faith, and even to encourage others to do the same. We praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.